Welcome to the Well-Bred Rapids Message of the Week. We hope you are encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Max Johnson. How's everybody doing? How many of you are new? Will you raise your hand? Is this your first time? Hi. Welcome. I'm, uh, I'm mentally trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about right now. <laughs> Hope that's not a problem for everybody. I did not anticipate baptisms hitting me the way they did. And it's still there. I, part of me, I'm, I'm nervous to start talking because I'm not sure where I'm going to emotionally go. Um, I've had having this. This is part of this is baptisms. Part of this is something that's been happening to me for about the last two or three weeks. I'm just finding myself in tears. Um, and gratitude's not the right word, but it's kind of the word of just thankful to be saved, thankful to know Jesus. And um, it'll come out of nowhere. I'll be like talking about snow plowing, and I'm <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know why it's there. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm going through healing. I, I might be. You never. I'm. I don't know. I never know. I, I am pretty unaware of that inside world. But um, until it happens, kind of, I find out what's in there when everybody else does. <laughs> and that's that's a good thing most of the time. Sometimes it's really weird and awkward. And I was thinking about, is Montrell back? There he is. Love you, bro. Montrell's, uh, we work together at SNC, and I found myself daydreaming about the question what's the secret to seeing your coworkers seek Jesus and get baptized? <laughs> and my answer is I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. It's Jesus. There's no uh, equation or. I didn't push the right buttons. I can't blame it on anything other than the mercy of God. I was standing talking with uh, Montrell and a few other guys two or three weeks ago, and we're small talking about, what are we talking about? Some TV show, I think. And I, I think, I don't actually know how it happened, I believe I audibly heard the word church from outside my body. Someone said church. And I'm not sure if it was one of them or... I don't know what it was, but I heard church and inside, kind of like when John the Baptist met Jesus in the womb, he, it says he leapt in the womb. I heard church and I went, you guys should come to church with me. And all three of them were like, we should. And I went, are you serious? Like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> you don't have to. Like, oh, you want to? Okay. I, I don't know. I'm just surprised. Jesus is just awesome. I can't shake this feeling. All right. I was thinking about um, 
last week, part, part of this is part two because I didn't even talk about what I intended to talk about last week. Uh, I kind of skimmed through it a little bit right at the end, but I, I, I was daydreaming about coming up and asking the question, are any of you living in a life that looks different than what you thought it would look like? <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with the right people. All right, we'll start there then. Exodus 32. Exodus, Exodus 23. I believe there's an overcomer revelation or probably revelation is not the right word. An overcoming grace that God wants to release this morning. And uh, it doesn't mean we won't have lots of problems. It doesn't mean we're going to overcome life and live in the dream and all your bills are paid on time and nobody's ever cranky with you and your kids are perfect. It means there's an overcomer grace to actually live in victory in every circumstance. In the trials and in the victories. And I've actually been learning to trust the Lord more in victory this year than I ever have. And I would, I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm trying to give language because I, I haven't heard many people discuss it. But I'm finding that victory is actually more difficult for me to live in than it is when I'm broken and needy. And I don't know why that is. I think probably just lack of experience, lack of um, exposure to the grace that sustains us in the highs. The same grace that carries you through the valley is the grace that keeps you in the mountains. And I'm actually finding that I, at least what it feels like to me, is I have to lean into the grace of God more when everything's working when the, the, the things are happening, the miracles are clicking, the salvations are coming, it's like, it, I get nervous. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's what's gonna happen is kind of this weird impending doom because I think somewhere in my subconscious there's a mentality that I'm not actually supposed to live in breakthrough. I'm not actually supposed to live glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength. I'm supposed to live... Um, uh, desperate and dependent and, you know, words that we would say that they sound right when you say them, but I'm, I'm finding there's unbelief that is hiding within that language in my heart. There's unbelief in the victory of Calvary, unbelief in the victory of the resurrection of the power of the blood of Jesus that I am finding that I, I need faith to walk on the mountaintop and to stay there as long as God wants me there. And to not back down, to not find myself becoming timid, to not try to present to you all my inadequacies, to be honest, to just in the name of authenticity. But there is a, I feel the Lord like shoving me right now in life. Like you are going to be powerful, son, is what I hear. He doesn't, that's how I hear it in my voice. But you are going to be an influence in the earth. You are going to be a carrier of the presence. And it has very little to do with me. It has everything to do with him being glorified and seen in the earth. And the part that's uncomfortable is because there's eyes on me. There's attention. There's, 
you know, it's, it's honestly, it's weird. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I didn't plan to talk about this either. Where, how many, Jamie Galloway came last time and he called my family, my wife, me out, my wife and I out in the middle of a meeting. And he said, I see a spirit of acquisition on you. And the, you know, it was, we were in the middle of buying a company and he prophesied we were going to be millionaires and, um, that amen, we are going to be millionaires. That's how it works. That's actually how it works. Covenant is powerful. It's not just for me. And I know that. But it was honestly a little bit awkward to be publicly recognized in that capacity and then to find the way that people interact with you differently after they see you get a word like that. And if you feel called out, let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do in your life. I'm not trying to call you out, but I, in, I experienced different conversations than I was used to. And I, don't, I have no judgment on the motive of the heart. I, I, it's not my job. I'm not allowed to do that. So I'm not, I don't know. I just knew it was different. <laughs> and um, I also started to get hated more than I've ever been hated in my life, almost immediately. It was like, what's that scripture? It says that persecution comes because of the word. And it's, it happened. I started to have, people hated me. And I'm used to being liked, just to be honest. I'm used to going places and people like me, you know. I'm happy and you smi- a smile goes a long way. I, I don't know. But I'm used to just that a measure of favor and whatever that is. And it was awkward and difficult to have people adamantly hate me. Not kind of. Not like, I dislike you, Max. I hate you. And this is what you're doing. These are your evil motives. These are your evil intentions. You're a liar. You're a thief. It's because I'm a pastor. (laughs) Amen. There it is. It's probably true. It has less to do with the money, more to do with the pastor. Hadn't thought about that one. What is that? Have a moment. Paul said something about the sufferings of Christ are being fulfilled in me. You know the verse? I I didn't write it down, but it doesn't mean the sufferings of Jesus weren't enough for salvation. What I believe that verse means is the sufferings of Christ need to be seen in the flesh in order for the glory of God to actually be seen here too. And there is a weight on leaders, I believe. This is, I, this is me finding out what I actually believe. There's a weight on leadership to actually carry persecution and suffering because it actually gives us an opportunity to represent Jesus in a beautiful way. And I want to learn to receive this as a gift, not a weight or a burden. I want to know, I want to know what it feels like to have people hate me and get excited. Because it's another opportunity for me to represent Jesus. And I will say when it started, it took me days to figure out how to actually get back to a heart of love. It started in pure flesh, just I can hurt people is where I was at. It's too much for some of you, I'm sorry. I was, I was super uh, righteous and I don't have any of those thoughts. It's just pure Bible. That's all I think about is the Bible. (laughs) I daydream like a 
like PowerPoint scriptures and stuff. <laughs> Exodus 20 something, 23. <clears throat> Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place where I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred places. Verse 27, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion. This is a cool miracle that you don't hear about often. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs and I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds. I will deliver the inhabitants into your hand. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods, lest they be a snare to you. It's cool that God will send his fear before his people, make his enemies turn their backs to us, send hornets out before them. Isn't that a cool miracle? Like they don't even do anything. This is after Israel crosses the river, uh, or they cross the, yeah, they cross the river into the promised land, the Jordan. It says it backs up all the way to Adam, and it's the second body of water that they cross over, and it actually symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The same way that the Dead Sea symbolizes water baptism is what we did today. There's another baptism that Israel goes through of the baptism of the Spirit. And then God starts having these conversations with Moses and he says, Hey, I want you to come up on my mountain. I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you these tablets. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you about the culture that I want to build. It was more than just law. It was God giving revelation to what I believe is an apostolic model of how to create a culture. And I want to build offerings. I want to build a tabernacle. I want you to establish a priesthood. I want to establish feasts. You're going to do at least these three feasts every year as a way to create an environment where a whole community learns to celebrate the Lord. So Moses, come on up the mountain, bring the elders, have all the people stay at the bottom of the mountain. Chapter 24, now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Verse 9, then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heaven in its clarity. But on the nobles and the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. This is at least 72 people see God. This is way more than just one dude on a mountain. Which is how I picture it. I don't know why. 
probably Sunday schools. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them, talking about the people. Verse 18, so Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. If you skim through Exodus 25, um, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31, those are all the instructions of God giving Moses direction on what I was talking about, about building the priesthood, building the, the offerings. It's just a super detailed list. First dude who actually gets the Holy Spirit is given gifts to craft um, uh, wood and, and um, stone and precious gems and uh, fabrics and stuff. And then in chapter 32, this is after 40 days. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold back from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that, you, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses starts to plead with God. He says, No, they're, they're not my people, God. They're actually your people. Don't kill them all, please. Which is nice when leadership prays for you like that. <laughs> Just had like two or three passive aggressive jokes run through my head. <laughs> I, and I, you know, you read, read about these stories and we go, how could they do that? It's like a month and a half. And 70 of them, at least, were on the mountain and ate and drank with God himself. These are the guys that are present when they're building this golden calf. It's not just people that never had an encounter. It's people that had a full-blown encounter with the God of the Old Covenant. Like the wrath one. The scary, you know. <laughs> they see him, and it takes about a month and a half where they're like, man, this is taking a long time. And what I've noticed is we do a lot of that. We just don't, we don't make calves. What we do, what I'm finding, it's the question I started with. How many of you are living a life that's different than you thought? I think this is one of those things that happens to us along the journey. It's what I, I shared last week about with John the Baptist where I, I am personally, personal Max opinion. You can disagree. I don't. I mean, I care, but I don't care. It's fine if we have different opinions. 
But I think John the Baptist had a similar thing where he was expecting a, the, the salvation, the Savior that much of Israel was believing for, a Savior to come and deliver them from Rome. And I think it's what motivated him to be willing to confront a political leader because that's where the fight's coming to. And my cousin, Jesus, he's here raising the dead, healing the sick, like this is happening. The stuff that prophets have spoken, this is happening. We are going to be delivered. And so he has a confrontation. He gets thrown into prison, the story tells us. And the same guy who called Jesus out of a crowd and said, that's the anointed son of God, the one on whom I saw the spirit descend, is now saying, are you the one or do we wait for another? It's the same thing that happened to Israel. They have a full-blown encounter where they see God. They, the mountain is on fire. The earth is trembling. At least 70 of them sit with God and eat and drink together. And a month and a half later, they're building a golden calf. And I think it's, there's seeds that get deposited in our heart when, you know, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire realizes a tree of life. And it's true, when hope gets deferred, it does make our hearts sick. And I believe that our heart getting sick is actually intended to be a signal that is saying, you have put your hope in the wrong thing. See, John, you put your hope in I was coming to deliver Israel from Rome. You didn't put your hope in I was coming to deliver the world from sin. Your hope is too small. You thought I would get you out of prison, but I actually came to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, right? Your hope's too small or it's pointed in the wrong direction. And we need to start to learn to, in maturity, pay attention to the sickness in our heart. It's not evil. It's not bad. It's a signal to us that I've actually started to give attention to something God's never called me to put my attention on. The other thing that I'm seeing from this passage with Israel and Exodus is what they used to make their offering before they did it was a command that Moses gave them to gather up all of their earrings, all of the gold that they had inherited from Egypt. And that's what they were going to use to build the temple. Meaning that the sacrifice, the offering that you have right now, you all have earrings, metaphorical earrings, things that you have inherited from probably the last season of life that you got breakthrough in. If that thing is not laid at the feet of Jesus, it is actually an opportunity for us to build an idol. So the gold, if we don't know the story, the gold that they inherited, they left Egypt. God sent all of these plagues to get his people out of the bondage of Pharaoh. When they left, it says that they raided the entire Egyptian camp of all of their riches which is an awesome story. It's a picture of your salvation. You don't just get saved and forgiven. You actually plunder hell when you leave. A whole lot of inheritance comes with us. And that inheritance is meant to be re-offered to Jesus. It's what I put in the offering this morning. I, I'm thankful for the leadership. I'm going, it's something I've been in, in my own private life learning that the only thing that's causing me anxiety is my business. I know how to trust Jesus with my spouse, with Thea. I know that she's a gift that God has added to my life and she is his responsibility. 
She's not my responsibility to, I mean, obviously I love her, I care for her, I go to work and stuff, but ultimately she's a gift that God has given me, but she's his job. I don't need to carry that weight. That's a yoke that Jesus didn't intend for me. I know how to do it with my children. I remember when I didn't know how to do it with my children. I would get super anxious when they would get sick. The first time Caden went to the hospital for like, he had the flu for four or five days and he didn't eat. Anybody, any parent, first time parents with your oldest, you kind of lose your mind when they go through stuff the first time. So we came home from the ER and the ER says, Caden's fine. If he doesn't eat for a few more days, bring him back. And, uh, I sat in my kitchen. I said, God, I don't trust you with my kids. Teach me. <laughs> and I did it this morning. I went, I don't know how to trust you with this business. I'm anxious about it. I feel like you gave it to me. And now I have to like work really hard to make sure all the ducks stay in a row and all the balls are in the air. And I feel him saying, stop, <laughs> stop. It's actually not your job, son. And so offering Jesus things that he gives us, the breakthroughs, the inheritance, is the safest place for our gold to be. So that it gets used to build his kingdom and not my idol. Thea and I laid in bed this morning I woke up and the idea in my head was, um, I wonder what would happen if we put her pregnancy symptoms in WebMD, what it would tell us what she has. But we didn't put pregnancy, okay? So she listed all of her symptoms. I said like irritable and cranky and... So there are like eight or nine things we put in WebMD, and it turns out she's got rheumatoid arthritis, um, something, diabetes onset, some, Lyme's disease was one of them. <laughs> but when we're doing it, it was a weird, I don't, I mean, I don't think about this stuff. So I'm sitting there, I'm, I've been thinking about it in worship, I'm like, Lord, what is that? I, that's weird to wake up from your dead sleep thinking, I wonder what WebMD would say. And I felt like the Lord, was, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for our hope deferred. Sometimes we're putting our hope, we're trying to pay attention to the things that bother us. We're trying to give our focus and our attention to the parts of our life that look different than what we thought they were going to or they should. And we're getting all of these weird diagnoses coming back. We're trying to treat rheumatoid arthritis when God's trying to give you a baby. And I feel this invitation back from, from the Father this morning is where it started, that he sings over us. He shouts over us. If you have a picture of God in your head that is not happy, it says that Jesus was more acquainted with joy than all of his brethren. He was the happiest disciple maker you've ever seen in your life. Stoic frustrated, you just haven't figured it out yet, but I believe in you, Jesus, is not who he is. Try a little harder next time. Pray some more. Why don't you read your Bible more? Maybe if you memorized more scriptures or went to church more faithfully. <sighs> I hate that stuff. 
It's a demon called religion. I'm not, I love the word of God. I listen to this. I won't even tell you because you take your religion demon and compare it to how much you listen to and it won't be enough or it'll be better than me. And it's, it's stupid. It's like, God wants to deliver us from this. And you will be surprised when you get delivered into the freedom of what it means to be a son and a daughter, you will spend more time in the word of God than you ever have in your life. You'll find him speaking to you in movies. You'll find him speaking to you through WebMD. He's talking all of the time. He's always present. He's always here and he loves me. <laughs> But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witness to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The word witness means martyr. It's the same word. The Holy Spirit's anointing on our life is to live unto death for Jesus. I was reading about St. Valentine and then I'm close to closing. St. Valentine, happy Valentine's Day. It's weird that we give flowers and chocolates on a day to celebrate a saint who got his head cut off. Hallmark has had its way. St. Valentine is like a third century saint who got beheaded for Jesus. He was marrying people uh, to actually keep them from going to war. He was hiding Christians and they killed him for it at least one of them, there might be two of them. I'm convinced, my theory is it was the same saint. Different stories in history, but they came from the same source. But the dude got his head cut off. His head, his kappa was detated. <laughs> Every time I preach, I'm gonna see if I can get an office quote in. And I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about uh, it's 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 funny in heaven. He's got a reward. He, I'm, I promise you, he's not sad right now that he gave his life for Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine that for eternity? You're going to spend life in eternity. Jesus died for you. That's amazing. And he, not in arrogance, but in. In connection, he gets to say, I gave mine for you. <laughs> I'm jealous. What an honor to die for Jesus. And it's happening all over the world right now. America is one of the few nations where you don't die for being a believer. You're not at risk of dying for being a believer. I don't want that. I'm not asking for that. But I'm not sad about it. I'm not living for here and now. And I was thinking, what if the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the church, what if we got away from, do you talk in tongues or not? And we got into, do you have that fire in your eyes where I'm actually convinced you will die for Jesus? What if that's the mark of the Spirit? Where we stop having all of these little misdiagnosis problems 
and we're on fire. We're a community, a, a, a body of people that are just burning on fire for Jesus. We, we're actually not asking for revival for here because we're not dead. We're praying for revival all across our city for our brothers and our sisters to be awakened to the beauty of Jesus. That's what I want. That is the company of people. I believe I'm connected to you for a reason because it's what you want. We want Jesus. And they overcame him, talking of the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to death. Is what Revelation 12 says. I don't know where to go. I kind of, part of me wants to be done. Part of me wants to go for like an hour or two into like full blown, just. Ah. It says that one man's death brought sin into the world and another man, talking of Adam, another man's death brought forth righteousness to the many and how, and how great will they reign in life, it says, is the phrase reign in life. I shouldn't have closed this. Reign in life. I think the key to reigning in life for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Reign means to be a king, to exercise kingly power, to govern of a province, the rule of the Messiah, the reign of Christians, to exercise the highest influence. That's talking about you. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Who's received righteousness? They will reign in life. They will execute the highest influence. They will be king. They will be a king. They will exercise kingly power. This is you. This is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And you do not get that unless you have an unto death commitment. You either get none of the authority of Jesus or you get all of it. And it's a martyr's heart. I don't, I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm trying to be honest and I'm trying to get as many people inspired and invited into the ability to reign in life as possible. If you want that, would you just stand? I feel like I want to ask for grace to be poured out. I'm going to preface this. I told you I got a really cool prophecy that I was going to be a millionaire and all this stuff, and then all this negative stuff came. Negative, negativity that I'd never experienced in my life. So I don't want us as a family to be surprised if we ask for something from the Father if it looks different than what we think. I don't want us to get back into the circle of Exodus and John the Baptist, but what if we ask the Father for something and he actually gives it to us and it's an ability to rule and to exercise the highest influence in your life? What if he starts to entrust to you the lives of other people? What if your prayer life 
changes from help me, save me to God, what are you saying for the world around me? So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you for being our older brother, for being the example setter, the good older brother, to clarify from earlier in the service. God, thank you that you are the, the fattened calf that was slaughtered for us. You are the party. You are heaven. You are the one who showed us the way. And Jesus, we want to be like you. And I do not want a, a, a community of people that chase martyrdom as if it means we're better than or more holy or we need it to prove our allegiance. But I do want to see a, a company of people, of uh, uh, your body, not just here in the well, but your body represent well the offering that you gave, that we would respond to you, Jesus, thank you for your life. You can have ours. And Lord, that you would have permission and freedom to lead us anywhere, to do anything, to say anything. For your name's sake, God, that you would receive the reward of your suffering, that you would receive the worship that you're due. God, thank you for Valentine's Day. Thank you for the saints of old that have given us a witness that you were worth it then just like you're worth it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.